Hey, good morning. How's everybody doing? Well, we're in week two of a series called Pursued, where we're talking about how God has this obsession to pursue people. If you missed last week, please go to our website today or get on iTunes and and search for us and listen to last week's podcast, because we talked about how God deeply desires to be in a relationship with us. And because of that desire, he pursues us. And we're looking at this idea of being pursued through a story in the Old Testament written by a prophet named Hosea. There's an Old Testament book named that, Hosea, and, and it's, it's by this prophet that uh, prophets were kind of strange people. They, they lived in the desert. They were kind of like gypsies. They uh, probably didn't relate to people very well because they would go off and come back and say, guess what God told me? And they would tell everybody what God said. And so God came to Hosea and said, look, Hosea, I want to create this picture of how my people have rebelled against me and broken the relationship. And here's how I'm going to create it. Hosea, I need you to go marry a prostitute. And Hosea's like, all right, well, okay. God, you say to do it. I'm going to do it. So he goes and marries this prostitute named Gomer. Now, evidently, Gomer has moved from a feminine name to a masculine name today. But this woman, Gomer, marries Hosea. And then whatever happens after that is really not about marriage, but it's about a picture of God pursuing people. So as the Bibles come down today, take one, raise your hand. The ushers will give you one. It's yours to keep if you want it. If you'd just like to borrow it and read along in there, the page numbers are also on the screen with the scriptures. You can do that as well and leave it in the back on the way out. Let's pray as we begin to open up God's word today. God, we ask you to speak to us today as we continue this series talking about how you pursue our hearts. Father, I pray for even the one person that's right here today that needs to hear something from you. God, may they hear that. May they sense your spirit. May they understand that you long for us to be in a relationship with you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Not by a show of hands, but maybe just by smiles and nodding your head. How many people in here besides me have done something really dumb? I mean, like you really messed up where you, you had no hope to redeem yourself. It was just like you got to fall at the mercy of whoever you did something to. And you just, there's nothing else you can do about it. You know, I was trying to think through, well, what's some dumb things that I've done that I can share? And I thought, well, we don't have enough time. It's the only, well, I've only got 30 minutes to speak, so I could just do that for 30 minutes. Dumb things Donnie's done. And then that's what you would learn today. So I thought I would share a couple. Our youngest daughter was born in 1998, and we lived in Baton Rouge, Louisiana at the time. My in-laws live in northern West Virginia, up near Ohio. And so we decided we were going to surprise Cinda's parents with taking the brand new baby to see them. So we get in the van, 18 hour drive. Nobody knew we were going to show up. And we show up in the afternoon at my in-law's house and we knock on the door. Nobody's home. I go around, I knock on all the windows, no answer. I kind of jiggle the back door, hoping it would open, nothing. And the whole time my wife is saying, honey, I think the next door neighbor has a key or we can call dad at work and we can go by and get a key. And I was like, no, there's got to be an open window. Everybody's got a way into their house. We're going to get in. When they get here, we'll surprise them and Abby will be there, you know, all goo goo. And, and they're just going to, they're just going to melt. 
So I go back and I go on the back porch and I, I open the kitchen window. I thought, perfect, I'll climb through the kitchen window. And it opens about like that. And I'm struggling to get through the kitchen window, knocking stuff in the sink, off the countertop. And the whole time we've been knocking on the door, her mom was in the shower. And so her mom, her mom is coming down the hallway in a towel and I'm climbing through the kitchen window. And what my, what my mother-in-law said, I'd never heard her say before that. And I've never heard her say it since. And the whole time with the screaming and the yelling and the me trying to say, we brought the baby for you to see, you know, Cinda is in the front yard, just like. Let's, it's only 18 hours back home. Let's go. Let's just get in the van and go back home. I mean, I was at the mercy of my mother-in-law and it took a while, but she did extend grace and she's over it now and we can joke about it. One time when Cinda was out of town for the weekend on a women's retreat, our girls were little about this, you know, about this tall and, and they had this long, beautiful blonde hair. And I decided I was going to do my wife a favor and I was going to get their hair cut for them. And I did it. I, I took him. I took him to one of the cheap places to get their hair cut, and uh, they got their hair cut. One of them said, "I want short hair," and I was like, "Sure, you can have short hair. That'd be great." And so their hair gets cut from like here to here. And then I go home. I'm looking at it, going, "That's a really bad haircut." So maybe we need to go back and go to a more higher class place and somebody that knows a little bit more what they're doing, a little more experience, they can fix your hair. And so we go back, and the lady goes, "Look, the only way I can fix this, I got to cut it shorter. Is that okay?" And I was like, "Sure." They, I mean, she wants short hair anyway. I just want it to look pretty when my wife gets back. Well, it, she got back, and I was like, "Honey," uh, she saw the girls and was like, uh, "Where are my children?" And then where's my husband? You know, kind of the next thing that she said. And I just had to say, okay, you got to give me some grace here. We've all been at the place where we desperately need someone to extend grace to us. Whether you've done something really stupid and hurt somebody or betrayed someone, you've all been at a place in life where all you can do is say, you know what, I can't fix it. I, I can't take their hair back on, honey. I can't crawl back out this window, Barb. I'm sorry. It's just not going to work. You just have to say, all I need now is a little bit or a lot of grace. Well, that's what the story of Hosea and Gomer is all about. Hosea showing grace to this woman who he married knowing she was a prostitute and knowing that she was not going to stop being a prostitute. And so we pick up this story in the book of Hosea chapter 3 when Gomer has run off again and she's in the arms in the bed of another man and then God appears to Hosea and he says this. In chapter 3 verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. So she habitually was betraying the marriage and she won't stop. If Hosea would come into my, would have come into my office and said, hey, this is what my wife is doing. She continually betrays the marriage. No matter how many times I bring her back, she finds another man and goes and betrays our marriage, has another affair. I'll go get her. I bring her back and it happens again. My pastoral advice at that point would be, hey, you need to just do some tough love. You need to just draw a line in the sand and say, this is it. You're not going to continue to betray our marriage and the commitment that we made. And it's over. You stop this or it's over. It's done. And we're not going to have a marriage anymore. That's my advice. But that's not what Hosea did. 
He goes for her. And even though she didn't deserve it, even though he had complete biblical grounds to divorce her, he goes to her anyway and extends grace. And this story is not a, a story about marriage. It's a story of about, God, about God's love for his people. And just so nobody misses that, Hosea says later in verse 1, this will illustrate the fact that he goes and loves her again. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. See, you might be thinking, the people might have been thinking, Hosea, you're a fool. Why would you let somebody walk all over you over and over again? And God is saying, this is a picture of my love for people. This is a picture of my relationship with you. No matter what you do to reject me, God says, I'm going to love you again and again and again. And I stand ready, God says, through this story of Hosea, to extend grace to all who will receive it. So if you're taking notes today, write this down. No matter how far I run from God, he will come for me. That's grace. That's God pursuing us with grace. And just the definition of grace is, grace is the unmerited favor, in this case, of God. It's God loving me and wanting a relationship with me no matter what. And there's no, God loves me and wants a relationship with me, but. There is no buts. It's God loves me and wants to extend grace to me. So let's read on in this story and see how Hosea handled finding his woman in the arms of another man. Verse 2 of Hosea 3 says, Hosea says, So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. So get this story. He's paying to get her back, which means she probably had the equivalent of what today we would call a pimp. She would have been the equivalent of today, what we talk about a sex slave. That's what Hosea, I mean, that's what Gomer would have been. And so she's got this guy that pretty much owns her. She's, she's in his home. She's in his grasp. She's probably prostituting herself for him on a daily basis. But Hosea comes and says, what do I have to pay to get my wife back? And it's interesting that the price he paid was the going rate in that day for the price of a slave. Except Hosea was not buying her to bring her and make her a slave to him or to anybody else. But he was buying her for her to be free. And he's saying, I will do anything that I have to, to love my wife again and to get her back and to redeem her. Redemption that's what redemption means. It means to buy back. And really, it's a picture of what God did for us. While Gomer was living in rebellion, her husband paid to get her back. In fact, he couldn't have gotten her back without paying for her. He couldn't just go in and say, she's mine, because the guy that owned her would have said, no, 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 I bought her, fair and square. She's paid for. And Hosea says, no, I, I'll buy her from you. Because I love her and I want her back. And that's the picture of the lengths 
links that God will go to to get us to receive his grace and to enjoy a relationship with him. In the New Testament book of 1 Peter, beginning at verse 18, it says this, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Because of the grace of Hosea, Gomer was brought out of the clutches of sin and set free. And because of the grace of God through Christ, we are brought from our life that is far from God into a relationship with him and set free. So no matter how far you've run from God, he will come for you. Actually, he's longing for the moment for us to say, I'll take the gift. I'll receive your gift. Because we're the ones that play the part of Gomer. We're the ones that have walked away from God. And God says, whatever it takes. In this case, it took Jesus to get people back to God. And he's willing to do that over and over again. So he can extend grace. We can receive it. And we can have a relationship with him. See, God loves us even when we're not lovable. Anybody, well, I know a lot of you have kids, right? You got little kids. I mean, aren't they, don't they get really aggravating at times? Little kids, they, they'll pee on you. They puke on you. They keep you up all night. And then they become teenagers. Oh my gosh. And then there's like mood swings and all that stuff that, that goes along with that. They're not lovable sometimes. But how many of us parents would not take a bullet for our kids in the snap of a finger? You wouldn't stop and say, oh, hold on a second. Let me think about this because I'm not sure if they deserve this. <laughs> you know, maybe not. Maybe I won't. You wouldn't think about that. You would give your life in a second. Because you love them in spite of their lack of being lovable sometimes. And it's the same thing God does with us. We don't have to be lovable for God to love us. Whether or not we deserve his love is irrelevant. The fact is, he gives it out through his grace. Through his undeserved, through undeserved, unearned love and favor of God. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but you got a paycheck. Get a paycheck this week, this month? Of course you did. That's how you get money. Well, supposed to. You're supposed to work for it and earn it. When you get your paycheck from your employer, it's because you have earned it. It's not a gift. It's not grace. It's owed to you. Grace is not earned. Grace is given. Grace is received. So it's nothing like, okay, God, I've done all this stuff. So now, hey, give me some of that paycheck stuff. Give me some of that blessing, God, because I've done all of this stuff for you. That's not how it works. And that's how people were starting to see God before this story of Hosea and Gomer begins. They were thinking, well, if we just do all of these rituals and worship, we'll worship a few gods to make sure we get the right one. And if we just do the right rituals, practice the right religion, then God's going to owe us something. 
That's not how it works. Now, some people misinterpret grace and think, well, since God loves me anyway, and he gives his grace no matter what, and I can live any way I want to live. Well, the story, of the, the story of the Bible, especially in the New Testament, when you read about grace, it tells us that it's grace that teaches us how to live, that teaches us how to live a godly life. I wonder what, Jose, what Gomer lived like after this time when she was forgiven again by her husband. The story doesn't tell us. But I wonder what she lived like after receiving that kind of grace. See, grace is not about us trying harder. It's about God giving more. It's not about us straightening up and doing things right. It's about us giving up and receiving his grace. It's not about running for God. It's about running to God. It's not about trying to please God. It's about trusting God with your messes and your mistakes. And it's not about earning. It's about receiving. Because when Hosea found Gomer, she had nothing to offer. Nothing. She was in the depths of her sin and had nothing to offer. But he extended grace anyway. And when we stand before God, if today's the last day, and Jesus comes back and we stand before God, I'm not going to stand there and say, hey God, I'm the one that led that church there in Raleigh. Donnie Williams, remember you got my name up there? All this good stuff happened. You surely got something. You know, I'm not going to be able to stand there and say, hey, I got to lead a bunch of people to Christ. Remember me? So I'm not going to stand there with things that I've done and God say, oh, yeah, you, shoot, you're a pretty good guy. I think I will let you in. Anybody you want to take with you? I would say, yeah, I got a bunch of people. I'd love to go. That's not how it's going to work. We stand before God the same way Gomer stood before Hosea, messed up, wrecked, not able to do anything to earn God's favor because we've already done it. Just because we exist, God's favor is in our life. And Hosea was there before Gomer, not to condemn, but to extend grace. And no matter what your life looks like, no matter what you've done, you are doing, you've thought about doing, no matter what, God doesn't stand to condemn you. He stands to offer his grace and he stands to offer his forgiveness to all who will receive it. On Friday, I checked on our national debt. Just in case you're not checking, I checked for us. It's about $16.8 trillion. It's more than that because every day it goes up $3.8 billion. Obviously, politicians can't fix it. Because it seems to just continue no matter who's in charge. In fact, it seems like they only make it worse. It would take right now $53,000 for every one of the 313 million people in the United States. Every man, woman, and child. fifty-three grand in order to pay it off. Just to get us even. So you, you got that? You got your fifty-three grand for you and every family member. If everybody did that, we'd be debt free for about a second. And then the $3.8 billion would start rolling up again. But what if, what if somebody from another country, it'd have to be another planet, somebody from another planet showed up and said, hey, you got that 16 point whatever trillion dollars in debt and uh, it's $3.8 billion a day. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write you a check for the, for the 
for the uh, trillions. Here's a check. That's paid off. And then I'm just going to give you this card. And it's my debit card. And every day it's just going to roll that $3.8 billion a day. We're just going to keep rolling that in until it's paid for. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be great if somehow that happened? Wouldn't things turn around? If you've ever found yourself in financial debt, or you owe for credit cards and student loans and cars and other dumb decisions that you've made. What if somebody just came in and said, let me write one check and take care of it. Wouldn't you feel free? Wouldn't you feel like, oh, finally that weight is off my shoulders. I can remember when I used to think, well, that's a good way to to operate. And when something was finally paid off, it was like, oh, doesn't feel good. Well, us paying for our own sin and doing things enough before God. So he goes, oh, you're good enough. That's perfect. It's about like you being able to take care of the $16 trillion debt. There's no way if he said, all right, you take care of it. There's no way you could do it. But because of Christ, we all get our debts paid because grace is about freedom. You might think, well, yeah, but I've been addicted for years and I, but I can't, I just don't, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can, I don't think I can stop. Grace is greater than your addiction. And that's what gives you the power and the freedom and the strength to keep going. You might think, yeah, grace is cool, but I've, I've been unfaithful to my spouse and everybody else in my life. Yeah, but grace is greater than that. And you might think, yeah, you're saying grace is great, but I, I've harbored unforgiveness and hatred and resentment in my heart. Grace is stronger than that. So with God's grace, you can get rid of your big butts. You can, you can stop saying, yeah, but, yeah, but. But if you want to live without, yeah, buts, then get with the grace that God offers each of us. We are Gomer. That's us. Drowning in the depths of mistakes and shame and dumb things that we've done. And God is Hosea saying, I'm willing to extend my grace anytime, whenever you need it, whenever you want it. Just receive this gift. And she received a gift she didn't earn. All she could do was say, thank you for taking me back. Thank you for giving me something that I didn't earn, I didn't deserve, but because of your love for me, you gave it back. That's what God does for us. When we're in the depths of our sin, depths of confusion, depths of mistakes and skepticism and whatever else we're dealing with, he says, I want to buy you back. I want to get you back from whatever's ruling your life right now. Let me have you back. In fact, in the New Testament, the apostle Paul wrote in the book of Romans chapter eight. He said, but God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, while we were still a long way off, God was still pursuing us and wanting to extend grace. While we're messed up, he extends grace to set all of us free. That's what's, that's the gospel. The gospel just means good news. And isn't it good news 
That there's a God who created us willing to extend grace no matter where we are, no matter what we've done, and say, I'm going to extend this grace to you. I'm going to give you favor that you didn't earn just because you're you. Just because I created you. See, when we ask people, hey, come in, step into the family of God. Receive a relationship with Christ. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about somebody making this move from darkness to light where God does all the initiating and then all we have to do is receive what he's already done for us. For centuries, that's been called the amazing grace of God. And when people receive it, it's like nothing else. When people finally figure that out, it's like, it's, it's the defining moment of your life. And as we sing this next song, just take a look on the screen at people who have made that decision and taken that step and then wanted to take the next step and let the world know that, yes, they are followers of Christ and they have received the gift of grace and they want to live in that relationship with God. today, not knowing what you're going to experience. And all of a sudden you feel this tug, like, Hey, it's time for me to receive that grace that we sing about and we talk about and we read about in scripture, because just like Hosea went and got Gomer and said, I'm going to love you again. God does the same thing for you. And, and you're either here today, you're either in the family of God or out. If you're inside the family of God and you're thinking, I have I have never taken that step to just publicly proclaim that I've received the gift of grace like I saw all those people doing on the screen. You can do that today. We've got towels and shorts and we've removed every possible obstacle that that could be in the way for you to follow Christ in baptism today. You just got to walk down front. As everybody's dismissed in a moment, you just walk down front. Joel and I will be down here just say, hey, I'm ready. Wear the shorts and t-shirts. You can publicly proclaim the grace that you've received. And there's some of you who've never taken that that leap and said, okay, I want to be in the family of God. I want to receive God's grace. I want to be bought back. Well, God pursues you with his love and his grace, and he's willing to do that anytime you're ready to take that step. And if you'd like to talk to us about what it means to come into the family of God and receive all that God has for you, we'll talk to you about that too. And you can follow Christ in baptism today. In fact, that's more the way they did it in scripture. They believed in Jesus and they went straight and demonstrated that through a death, a burial, and a resurrection that baptism symbolizes. You have that opportunity today. And this morning we started off, several of us praying for you the person of the people who will say, yep, today's the day. I need to do that. So I want to pray for you again. And then you're dismissed after the prayer. And, and 
Everybody's going to go out and just make a right. When you go out these doors, go down that hallway until you see the baptistry out there in the courtyard on the left. And those of you that we pray that are ready to take that step, just come down front as everybody else is going in that direction. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for coming to get us when we're lost in the depths of our sin. God, thank you for the grace that teaches us how to live, teaches us how to say no to an ungodly lifestyle. God, we need that moment by moment. And I pray for the people who are just trying to decide is today the day. God, let your spirit just burst through and let them know today's the day they can receive your grace. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.